Employment Hour, we are back. one 821 5900 Help at employmenthour.com to get a hold of Lior, the rest of the team. Get them in their capable hands to help you out anytime. We're going to talk about it a little later on, but uh, you can check it out in the meantime as we idly chat. SeverancePayCalculator.com, that is the place you want to go to find out exactly the severance you are owed. And uh, from there, you can make that phone call and contact Lior uh, at that point, going to get to reprisals, talk about what those are on the show today, some of your emails, but we first start, Lior, with the week that was. What is going on? Hey, John. Uh, always uh, great to be back here uh, to talk about uh, the things that uh, people care about, which is your workplace rights, the things that, you know, it's a, it's a very long and wide topic when we talk about employment law, because so many things fall under that rubric, uh, you know, mistreatment by your boss, promotions, demotions, constructive dismissal, termination of employment, human rights, harassment, the list goes on and on. And we try to cover as much of those topics as possible. Uh, and, you know, hopefully things are going well for you right now in your job. I, I truly hope that. But at some point, someone has, most people have problems at work. Mm-hmm. Something comes up. So you need to know how to deal with that. That's what we're here to do, to inform you and educate you. And if that problem does ever come up, you'll know what to do. You'll know how to deal with it. You'll know what it means. And of course, if you want to talk specifically and privately about your situation, if it's something that you want to run by me, call me, email me. We'll give you that contact information throughout the show today. No such thing as a bad question. No such thing as that you need to be bashful. Happy to always answer questions. And to get us started, John, about workplace rights, let's talk about a couple situations that came across my desk. Well, obviously, the big thing in the news recently has been the legalization of marijuana. Oh, yeah. Well, I had kind of my first, quote-unquote, marijuana case recently just come across my desk. Uh, and uh, so th- this person was let go from his job. He was a driver. Uh, he did deliveries uh, around the town. And his company had a policy, arguably it wasn't legal, but that's a different issue, of having random drug tests. Mm-hmm. So, so he got picked for a, ra- a random drug test. And sure enough, it showed that he had uh, the, the remnants of marijuana in his, uh, in his system. And he was fired on the spot, no questions asked. He said, we have a policy, zero tolerance policy. Well, I spoke to him and he said, well, the thing is, I had, I had done some marijuana a couple of days earlier. I hadn't done anything, not even the day of, even the day before I hadn't done anything. And if you haven't, if you have, you've read anything about marijuana, you know that unlike with alcohol, which only stays in your blood for a very short period of time, marijuana can stay in your, in your system for days, yep. sometimes even weeks. Uh, depending on the person. So the fact that he had uh, shown on the test that he had marijuana in his system did not mean that he was actually impaired, did not mean that he was doing something irresponsible. So they can't just let him go because, again, he's not really doing anything wrong. It's not the smoking of the marijuana that they had a problem with. It was the fact that whether he was impaired at work, and he wasn't impaired. And remember, it's the company's obligation to prove that he was impaired. So now this is becoming this is going to become a very common issue with the legalization of marijuana. If you're impaired at work, your employer can and should have a big problem with that, and you actually may be let go uh, from your job if you're impaired at work. But the fact that there's some marijuana in your system does not mean you're impaired, and you cannot be let go just for having it in your system. That would be a wrongful dismissal. That would be a situation that entitles you to get your severance. So I wanted to bring that up today. These issues are going to come up for uh, more often. Be smart about it. Don't uh, do marijuana when you're going to go to work if it's going to impact your ability to do your job. But if you did it the day before, the day before that, if you're fine at at work, you should be assured that you cannot be fired for what you do on your own time when it doesn't impact your job. 
Would it be fair to say from, you know, generally speaking from an employer and an employee angle, everyone's scratching their head about this, this topic so much, treat it like alcohol. You're not going to drink and drive. You're not going to drink at work. You're not going to go out and have slam three beers at work. Do the same thing with, with smoking up and with marijuana. That's exactly right. right. And that's what I've been telling both employers and employees. Employers have been asking me, what do we do with, uh, with the marijuana? Right. We treat it like alcohol. Yeah. If you don't let people uh, drink during work hours, don't let them smoke. If you don't let people be drunk at work, don't let them be high at work. It's the same thing. Very simple rules. Be smart about it. That's all. What else you got going on? Uh, I got a call from a lady who uh, got a pay raise. She was very happy about it. She got $3 an hour, and it came with an employment agreement, which she was very happy to sign because it said you were getting you a pay pay raise of $3 an hour. Luckily, just before she signed it, her sister, who heard our show, told her, give Lior a call just to be safe, and she did. And she called me, and that employment agreement contained a termination clause that tried to limit her future severance. So she's a long-service employee, 10 years. And effectively, if she had signed that agreement, okay, John, she would have potentially be looking at eight-week severance instead of t- uh, 12 months of severance. So what the company was trying to do is they were trying to say, oh, we're going to give you a pay raise, but you have to sign this document, which at some point is going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars. So this is just another example. When you're already working and your employer wants you to sign an employment agreement, that's bad news always, okay? No exceptions. That agreement in most cases is going to provide the company with better terms. It's going to cost you money. So even if it contains a pay raise or a promotion, look beyond that. Look what else Mm -hmm. does it do? Does it give the company the right to let you go with minimal severance? Does it give the company the power to lay you off temporarily? Does it give the company the power to change your job and change your compensation? Look beyond just the salary. Look beyond just the vacation. Be smart. And if you don't know what it means, you don't know if you should sign it, don't sign it. Call me first. Let me review it, and then and then we can discuss what it all means. Lots more to go. We'll get into the uh, topic of reprisals, your emails as well, severance pay calculator. In the meantime, the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmenthour.com. This is the Employment Hour. It's here on Global News Radio one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Severancepaycalculator.com. That is the place you want to go. Over half a million people have used the uh, severance pay calculator to find out what they're owed as far as their compensation, if they were let go is concerned. So do yourself a favor, go there first, and then follow it up with that phone call to Lior. Uh, Reprisals, let's talk about this for a little bit. Getting punished for standing up for your rights. Talk about it. John, you know, our legal system uh, is based on the fact that people have a right to pursue their rights. People have a right not to be afraid to ask questions about their rights. People have a right not to uh, uh, not to be afraid to file complaints to get what they're owed. That is the basis of our legal system. Because if you are afraid to pursue your legal rights, your legal rights are meaningless. Right. Right. Yeah. You can't pursue your legal rights if you're scared, if you're worried about losing your job, and if you can't pursue them, what's the point of having them? Yeah. So, in the employment law context, we call a situation where you're being punished for pursuing your rights. We call that a reprisal. So if you're pursuing your rights and because of that, your employer punishes you, lets you go, warns you, suspends you, demotes you, that's illegal. That's a reprisal. And and I want to talk about that. I want people to understand when an employer is not allowed to punish you, what you can do if you have questions about your legal rights, because it's very, very important. Okay, start it off then. What are some of the, uh, the most common problems that employees take up with their employers? So, you know, obviously uh, most problems at work are are things that you're going to try to deal with your employer directly. So overtime, as an example, you you don't know that you got the overtime that you're owed or Mm -hmm. your employer's not paying you overtime or maybe they miscalculated. You're probably going to take that up with your employer. You're going to go to your employer and say, hey, why didn't I get paid for overtime or should I be getting paid overtime? Very common. Vacation pay. 
Uh, did you? I, I don't think I got my vacation pay calculated properly. Very common. Or you didn't give me uh, enough notice of the change in my shift. You know, there's requirements as to when shifts can be changed and how they're going to be changed. Uh, very, very simple matters. Those types of matters are very common. Overtime, hours of work, vacation pay. Probably the most common situations. Another common situation is when it comes to harassment and mistreatment. Someone is mistreating me. Someone's not uh, uh, treating me properly. You're going to go talk about that with HR. You're going to go talk about that with the owner of the company. Very common questions, and that's when the idea of, of that, that blanket of security comes up, that you should have the confidence of knowing that you can raise those issues without being punished. It's, it seems crazy, especially for something as simple as overtime, to be punished for it, for a reprisal. Like, Well, from the employer's perspective, which is nonsense, well, you're not a team player. Uh, yeah, everyone needs to put some extra hours. You want to actually get paid for that? How dare you? If you're not a team player, we don't want you here ridiculous. You're laughing and you should be laughing, frankly, because it's nonsense. But I've seen this, John, before. I've seen employers getting upset because you had the audacity to ask questions. And that's when I say to employers and employees, not so fast. Whether you're upset or not, I'll leave that to you. But you cannot, cannot punish someone for asking questions, for pursuing their legal rights. 1-855-821-5900, by the way, is the number to get a hold of Lior and the team at the firm, help at employmenthour.com. So if you're an employee, you think you maybe owed something, maybe you uh, maybe didn't get that overtime, or maybe you didn't get paid for an entire shift one day, uh, first steps, what do you do? Well, obviously, the first thing is you want to actually understand if, if you're right or if the company's right. If they didn't pay you is there something you're missing? Is there something you're not aware of? You ask the question. You go talk to HR or if there's a payroll person or the boss, whoever is the appropriate person in your company, and you ask the question, why didn't I get that? Should I have gotten this? Uh, can I get that on my next pay? You try to resolve that internally. Uh, there's no point you know, running out and filing complaints with the Ministry of Labor unless you've tried to resolve mm-hmm. it internally. At some point, you may have to. If you're, you feel you're owed overtime and the company won't pay it, well, then... Either you give up those rights and why would you, or we have to deal with it externally. I do. I deal with that. The Ministry of Labor can deal with that. Uh, but the first step always, if you have a question, if you have a question about an entitlement, if you think the company got something wrong, they calculated your hours or your vacation, your, your uh, overtime wrong, say so. Tell them that the, what your concerns are, are. Give them an opportunity to either explain it to you or to fix it and pay what you're owed. Is this an example like many others uh, we talk about here is – Going to talk to the boss is fine. Going to go rap on his door. Is this something you'd also send in an email or have in writing that you actually made a, an attempt? You know, I, I always like to have things in writing. Mm-hmm. I, and even if you go speak to someone, I would follow it up with a quick right. email. There's no downside. It avoids a situation down the road where it becomes a he said, she said, yes, you did. No, I didn't. Who cares? Just send a quick, quick email after that. It doesn't have to be uh, 15 pages long, but it, it works well and it helps avoid any conflict down the road. If I was going to go talk to my boss about something like that, it turns out, you know what? I got it wrong. I did the math wrong and uh, it wasn't the situation I thought it was. What happens if punishment happens then? Well, let's be very clear. So you've, you've made that inquiry of your boss. You asked about overtime. Yep. You cannot be punished, okay? You, you cannot be punished. You cannot be threatened to be punished. You cannot be demoted. You, your pay can't be reduced. Your shifts can't be changed. If you ask questions about your rights, if you file a complaint with the company about your rights, you cannot be punished. That's a reprisal. The law takes to that very seriously. There's going to be punishments that the company gets if they try to punish you for raising your rights. Now, that's the same even if you're wrong. So you went to the company and say, hey, I want to get paid overtime for last week. 
and you're wrong. You shouldn't have gotten paid because you didn't work enough hours to qualify. That's fine. Even if you're wrong in the things that you're asking for, you still can't be punished. The company shows you, no, no, here's why we didn't pay you overtime because you only worked this amount of hours. Then that's the end of it. They can't say, well, now because you, you dared question us, we're going to punish you. Again, that's illegal. That's a reprisal. The whole idea is you should feel free and comfortable to go and ask those questions. You should feel free and comfortable to file complaints, to, to be the, the squeaky wheel, if you know what I mean, because you cannot be punished for that. You cannot be punished whether you're right or wrong. And if you do, there's going to be no, uh, no leeway that the company gets. They're going to be fined. They're going to be penalized. That could be a, a wrongful dismissal, depending on the situation. It's a big deal. We'll talk a little more about uh, reprisals and move on to non-competes after a uh, short break. one 855 15900 is the number. Help at employmenthour.com as well. We'll continue the employment hours right here on Global News Radio. 1-855-821-5900 is the number. Help at employmenthour.com through email. Talking about reprisals. Uh, so you believe you're maybe over to some overtime, vacation pay, or something uh, of, a, of a larger nature, someone uh, you know treating you improperly at the workplace. Reprisals. What do you do? Well, if you're uh, if you someone is mistreating you because you raised those issues, yeah. well, then at that point, okay, we take that seriously. I want you to call me. I want us to to discuss this. I want to find exactly what you did, who you complained, what you complained about, and what the reprisal was. And again, you mentioned harassment, very common situation. I complained to my boss about harassment, and they say, well, you're you're the one raising these issues. You're the one causing us problems. So we're going to let you go. Wait a second. You cannot do that. So if that happens, call me. Let's talk about that. Just the fact that they punished you could be a constructive dismissal. Just the fact that they punished you may may allow us to get you out of there and get you the severance that you're owed, even if they haven't fired you, if that's what you want. There could be fines that the company may be liable for, uh, for punishing you when you're pursuing your rights. So I want you to call me. I want you to email me in that situation. Uh, don't just say, well, I guess I, uh, I just have to chalk this up as something that I can't uh, fix. Nonsense. Uh, I want to talk to you. If they feel they've been punished for standing up, should they go back to their employer or just skip that and go right to you? Yeah, skip that. At that point, you've given your employer an opportunity to deal with the issue by filing a complaint, by raising the issue. If they respond to it badly, if they do what they're not allowed to do, which is to punish you, again, most employers won't even try. Let's be clear. Most employers are going to be good. They're going to deal with these issues properly. But if in your specific situation you get punished, no, that, that company kind of missed the boat. They had an opportunity to deal with it. They didn't. Now you call me. one 821 5900 is that number. Moving over to a non-competition obligations. Uh, we talk about non-competes all the time on the show. Just a, just a, what do we mean? What's a, what's a non-compete? It is a, a common situation. Most people uh, are, are a lot more aware of it now than they maybe would have been a few years ago. So a non-compete or a non-competition obligation is a term Usually it's found in an employment agreement that says that if you leave the company or if the company lets you go, you can't work for a competitor. You can't work within that industry or you you can't work for specific companies. What the company is essentially trying to do in that situation is to make sure that you don't take what you've learned while working for them and use it for someone else's benefit. But if you think about it, for you, if you've been in an industry for your whole life uh, and now because uh, you decided to quit or because the company lets you go, you can't work in the industry for two years, that could be a huge, huge problem. So non-competes could be a very problematic, which is why we want to spend a few minutes talking about them. Uh, it could be a very tricky uh, topic. You mentioned uh, it's fairly common in the workplace now. How common is it? 
it's very common. You know, when I started practicing law, I didn't see non-competes that often except from very senior positions. Right now, even for entry-level positions, I often see non-compete obligations in an employment agreement. So you may start an entry-level job, maybe even your first job out of uh, university, and here, the, here it is, a non-compete. If you ever leave us, you can't work for a competitor for two years anywhere in Canada. And like, holy cow, that's a big deal. You know, what if I'm working in, in broadcasting and I can't work in broadcasting again for two years? Well, how am I going to make ends meet? What happens to my career? So very, very important to, to know what your rights are in those situations. Okay, having said that then, let's talk about enforceability with a non-compete. Are they enforceable? Well, that is the, the literally million-dollar question. Are they enforceable? So let me ve- be very clear here. They're not. In the vast majority of cases, not all, but in the majority of cases, a non-competition obligation is not enforceable. Our courts have made it very clear that they don't like terms that prevent people from earning a living. Okay, It's not fair. It's not right. So if I can't earn a living, that's not good, and you can't stop me from earning a living. So for most people, John, they're not going to be enforceable. Usually, they would only be enforceable for the most senior positions, for the executives, for the uh, presidents, uh, CEOs, vice presidents, for people that are so senior that if they were to leave and go work for a competitor, it could be very, very problematic for their former employer. For most people, 95% of uh, other employees, they're not going to be enforceable. So it's generally people high up, fiduciary, stuff like that, that's going to see yep. that non-compete. And, and, and those ones could potentially be enforceable. For those, for the senior people, it, it is enforceable. Now, again, depending also how uh, strongly it's worded and depending mm-hmm. how strong an obligation is. What I mean by that is if the non-compete says you can't work in the industry for five years anywhere in Canada, that's not going to be enforceable because five years is a ridiculous period yeah, it's like of prison. time. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> But if it's six months, even a year, and if you're a very senior position, in most cases, if you are, again, very, very senior, it would be enforceable. But for people that are, have regular job, 95% of us out there, it's not going to be enforceable. How about sales? How about people in sales? Because that can, that can be dangerous to a company, right? That could do damage. Absolutely could do damage, which is why an employer can protect itself with a non-solicitation obligation ah. that says if you leave us, you can go work wherever you want. You just can't take our customers. You can't take our clients. That's usually enforceable. But you can't tell a salesperson legally you can't work for a competitor. You can't tell a salesperson you're not allowed to go work for someone that competes with us. Uh, That usually, even if you sign an agreement that says that, in most cases, again, not every case, but in most cases, that agreement probably is not worth the paper it's written on. Going to dig a little deeper into the non-competition agreement when we uh, come back from a short break. The number 1-855-821-5900. And quite simply, help at employmenthour.com as well. It's the Employment Hour. This is Global News Radio. 1-855-821-5900 is the number to get a hold of Lior, the rest of the team. If you want to know what your severance should be anytime, by the way, don't sign anything, not yet. Severancepaycalculator.com. It's free. It takes about 30 seconds to use the program. Over half a million people have done so. There's no charge for it. And there is a contact button at the bottom if you want to carry on and contact uh, Lior and the uh, the crew after that. We are talking about non-competition agreements. Most of them aren't enforceable. So most people now know if they have a non-compete, it's non-enforceable. Does that mean it can be ignored? Can you brush yeah. it off? So hopefully uh, our listeners haven't turned off their radio <laughs> in the previous segment. Oh, I heard Lior say it's not enforceable, so that's all I need to know. I'm uh, done. I'm done. I'm out of here. Not so fast. Okay, this is the key. This is the key message that I have. The fact that it's not enforceable doesn't mean that your former company won't try to enforce it. That is the key. 
because just because it's not enforceable doesn't mean that you're not going to get sued. Your former company may well try to enforce it. Uh, and if they do, they will sue you. They will sue you and also probably your new company that you work for. And you know what? Uh, a year and a half later and $100,000 in legal fees later, you're going to win that lawsuit. But it's going to be a very hollow victory because you're going to be put through the ringer. It's going to cost you a lot of money. So the bottom line is this, John. This is the, the, the important part is even though a non-compete is usually not enforceable, you can't ignore it. If you ignore it, you do so at your own risk. Your former company may want to send a message to their other employees. That's what happens if you mess right. with us. That's what happens if you go work for a competitor. We'll sue you. So they'll make an example out of you. So you have to be very careful. My rule is very simple, John. If you sign it, you have to live with it. If you sign a non-compete, even though it may not be enforceable, you have to be prepared to live with it. If you're not prepared to live with it, don't sign it. Look for another job. Negotiate it. Do something. Never ever sign something and say, ah, I, I'm sure it's not going to be enforceable, so I'm just going to ignore it. That's just an invitation for legal action against you. And again, even if you win that legal action, you may not be happy that you were involved in it to begin with. So the bottom line when it comes to non-competition obligations, you take them seriously. You don't ignore them. The question of whether it's enforceable or not is, is not as important as the question of whether your company, your former company, is going to try to enforce it. So if it's not a case where you've been let go and you've been forced out, then you've got to look at that non-compete. Say uh, a competitor comes knocking on your door and just like, man, I got this supreme offer from this other company, but I have this damn non-compete. What do I, where, do you, where do you go from there? Well, the best course of action is you, you're honest with your former employer. And you go to or your soon form, to be former employer, or soon to be former yeah. employer, and say, "Here's what I want to do. Just so you know, I'm not gonna reveal your confidential information. I won't be going after your customers, but I want you to allow me to work there." In most cases, if you approach your employer that way, if you assure them that you're not gonna go after their customers and clients, they're gonna be fine with you working somewhere else. But that's the safest way, because the other way is, ah, I'm just gonna go do it anyway. And then what's your company going to think? They're going to think, well, you may be stealing our clients, so they're going to sue you. Mm -hmm. Bad idea, bad situation to be in. And the new company that you accepted a job, now that they find out that you signed a non-compete, they may have a problem. Hey, you didn't tell us that. They may not fire you because you didn't tell them that you had a non-compete. So a bad situation all around. If you have a non-compete and you want to go work for a competitor, whether you've, you're quitting, whether you've been let go, be honest. Be honest with the new company that you're going to be working for. Be honest with your former employer. Tell them what you want to do. Try to resolve it that way. If you don't, if you can't resolve it that way, you're going to take a big risk by doing it anyway. They may let you do that, but there, there's... There's no way they're going to let you do that without signing something to that effect, right? They'll probably make you sign something that, again, you're not going to go after customers, yeah. you're not going to go after clients, but that's fine. Okay. And they should expect that. Uh, but beyond that, you know, and to me, that's reasonable. You can work wherever you want. They're just for a period of time, you got to stay away from their customers. Fine. Do that. Uh, if not, then your other option is, again, to get involved in legal proceedings. And I'm not a big fan of anyone doing that because, again, I, except for us lawyers who are kind of weird that way, most people don't enjoy those legal proceedings. <laughs> so from an employer's perspective now, what's the best way for them to go about the uh, non-compete? Well, generally what I tell employers is only use them for the positions where it makes sense to use them. You know, if you, if you have someone uh, answering the phones in your office, don't put a non-compete in their employment agreement. That doesn't make any sense. This guy's running the fry basket. He needs a non-compete. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're they're, they're yeah. working as part of the cleaning team. They have a non-compete. Come yeah. on. What, what are you trying to do here, right? That's ridiculous. But you're laughing, but I see this all the time, John. It, it, it's Crazy. silly. 
Don't do that. It doesn't make any sense. Use the non-competes only for the senior people, for the executives, so that your senior managers, for people where, where you really don't want them to work somewhere else. That's number one. And number two, if you're going to use a non-compete, be reasonable with it. Don't make it across Canada. Anywhere on Earth. Yeah, for the next anywhere two years. on planet Earth and beyond. Uh, don't, <laughs> yeah, don't make it for years and years. You know, find a, a reasonable geographic location. So you can't work for anywhere, anyone in Toronto or within 10 kilometer, kilometers of our office. Mm-hmm. And don't, again, don't make it for years. Make it for six months, maybe tops a year. Yeah. Be reasonable. The more reasonable the employer is, the more likely it is to be enforceable. So find out the right people to Good use call. it, and when you do use it, be reasonable. We'll take a short break and move on to some of your emails. You want to send one, got some time, help at employmenthour.com. Other than that, the phone number, one 821 5900 It's the Employment Hour, and it's right here on Global News Radio. one 821 5900 is the number. It is help at employmenthour.com to send some emails along. And uh, have your questions answered on the show as we do it throughout the weeks here. By the way, severancepaycalculator.com to find out exactly what your severance should be. It's a great leap off point. And there's a contact button to get a hold of Lior and the firm at the bottom if you so wish. Don't have to. You can walk away anonymous. And it is, uh, it's free of charge, by the way. Danielle, first one up. Danielle says, I quit my job because my employer owed me $4,000 in holiday pay and vacation pay. And he refused to pay. I asked for payment many times. And he always promised that he would pay, but he never did. Is there something that I can do to get what he owes me? A lot of use of the word pay. In yeah, that, a lot of, I think she wants her pay. In that email. I think she wants to get paid. Yeah. Uh, so you know, this is not a complicated situation, but there's a bit of a twist to it. So obviously, if you're owed money, the company has to pay you the money. It's, it's not rocket science, whether it's overtime, vacation, whatever it is, unpaid wages, they have to pay it. Mm-hmm. How do you get that money? Well, I can send a letter on your behalf. That's probably the fastest way because you could probably resolve it in a day or two. Usually a letter from me does that. You can also file a complaint with the Ministry of Labor. That takes longer. That could take weeks, even months. Uh, so, so by all means, either one of those options, you will get paid. Uh, but here's the twist. The fact that you're not, the fact that either your employer is late or kind of being delinquent and paying you when they're supposed to, in itself could be a constructive dismissal. It's a very basic term of employment. I go to work, you pay me what you owe me. Yep. Done. That's as simple as that. It doesn't get simpler than that. So what happens if your employer doesn't meet that very basic obligation? Well, you can say that is a termination, but you're not paying me but you're not giving me what you're supposed to pay me. I can treat my employment as being terminated and leave. And not only do I I get what you owe me, I also get my severance. So Danielle has that option now. She can treat that as a constructive dismissal. She doesn't have to, but she can treat that as a constructive dismissal because if her employer is going to do this again, she doesn't want to be in that situation. They have to chase her employer every week, every month, every year, whatever it is for her money. So treat that as a constructive dismissal. Move to a different employer that's not going to do that. But will you get paid? Yeah, I can easily help you with that. You know, that, then that's a really interesting angle because you can imagine with an employer like this, especially if it's a repeated thing where they haven't paid you your overtime, you're not paying your wages. Chances are, there's a high probability that you're not happy there anyway. So that, that would be a handy-dandy little escape yeah, if it was you, a, you know, a constructive dismissal, right? Because you may think, ah, I, just, I don't want to work here. I'm going to quit. That's fine, except now you can also get severance. Right. So why, wouldn't that be nice to be able to leave this job where you're not getting paid, you're not happy, get severance, and then move to a different job? It is uh, kind of a neat thing to be able to do. But it's, again, it's your employer's fault. If they had simply paid you what they owed you, there would be an issue. Help at employmenthour.com is the email Natalie's up next says, I've been on a disability leave for six months. My employer is putting pressure on me to return to work 
and that they can't keep my job any longer. I'm afraid that if I don't return, I won't have a job there. Do you have any advice for me? Uh, yeah, I absolutely do for Natalie. And it's very simple. When you're off on a disability leave, you have one thing to worry about, and that is to get better, to, to follow your doctor's orders, to follow your doctor's instructions, and do what you have to to get healthy again. You shouldn't have to worry about your employer. You shouldn't have to worry about pressure from your employer. So what does this mean for Natalie? It means that if you have to be off for seven months, 12 months, 18 months, whatever it is, your employer still has to keep your job. In other words, you're still an employee. Mm -hmm. They can't say, well, if you're gone for seven months, you're out of here. It doesn't work that way. When you're ready to come back to work, even if it's a year and a half later, because that's how long it took you to get better, at that point, they have to make every effort to bring you back. They have to take a good, long, hard look at their needs, at their availability of jobs, and take you back if at all possible. What they cannot do is try to put pressure on you to come back. Just the fact that they're threatening you or trying to put this uh, crazy pressure on you to come back when you're not ready in itself could be a human rights violation. It could certainly also be a constructive dismissal. So employers don't do that. If you have an employee that you know can't work, lay off, back off them. Let them be off as long as they need to, as long as they have doctor backup. And when they're ready to come back to work, that's when you assess whether there, uh, there's a job for them. Not before that. Definitely don't put any pressure on them. Now, that employer, on the employer's side, they are allowed to get someone to fill your position whilst you're off because they got a, they got a business to run. Absolutely. So an employer doesn't have to say, well, I guess we'll just have to make do. No, your employer can find someone to do the job while you're off. But again, when you're ready to come back to work, they have to make efforts to bring you back. If it's not the exact same job, then something as similar as possible, something uh, that's available. And again, that determination, that assessment can only be done when you're ready to come back to work, not before. And no matter what, they can't threaten you. They can't say, if you don't come back, you lose your job. If you don't come back, we don't have a job. Because again, they can only make that assessment when you're ready to return. What's the right thing to do if, the, if an employer gets somebody as a temp or whatever to fill your position while you're off, and this person you hired is an absolute rock star? And you don't want it. You want them. You want to keep them. What do you do? So, when it comes to mat leave, oh. okay, let's talk about that. If your the replacement is a rock star, too bad. Okay, <laughs> your 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 employer can't keep the replacement yeah. and say, well, I like the replacement better than you, so I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna allow you to come back to work. So they can't do that. But with a disability leave, it's different. Your employer does not have to fire your replacement just to make room for you. They hmm. can, but they don't have to. What they have to do is see if they can find a job, whether it's the same, same job or another job, they have to try to find a job. They don't have to fire a replacement uh, because of that. That only applies for maternity leave. Same pay, you got to come back to the same pay? Yes, because if you don't, again, that would be a constructive dismissal. If your employer says, I have a job for you, but it's in this department making less money, you can accept that if you want, or you can treat that as a constructive dismissal because, again, your employer can't change the terms of your employment. Your employer can't reduce your pay. That's a constructive dismissal. More of your emails coming up here, and you want to uh, ask a question about something we've talked about thus far on today's show, no problem, one 821 5900 and simply help at employmenthour.com. More is on the way. Global News Radio. one 821 5900 is the number to get a hold of Lior and the team at the firm. Emails from which we've been reading today are help at employmenthour.com. Well, up next, as I just found out that the chiropractor I work for is about to retire and close his practice in six months. I asked about severance, and he had no idea what I was talking about. Shocking when it comes to doctors. Uh, I've worked for him as a receptionist for 16 years. Am I owed anything? 
I can almost see the, the look in the doctor's face, on uh, the doctor's face when you ask for severance. He probably thinks you fell from the sky. What yeah. are you talking about? Severance? I don't even know what that means. And again, I'm not picking on anyone, but the reality is, I've seen this before uh, with doctors, whether it's you know general practitioners, dentists, chiropractors, doesn't matter, where they're fabulous at their job. Oh, we love and, them. And we love them. They're yeah. good people and they, and, and they help and they do that genuinely. But when it comes to workplace and workplace law and employment law, they don't know what it is. They don't understand it. They don't have that experience. And because of that, a lot of times it's kind of like the Wild West there mm -hmm. when it comes to workplace rights. So let's be very clear. Whether you work for a doctor's office, whether it's a, a tiny little practice or not, you're owed severance if you lose your job. Now, let's talk about this specific situation. Yep. She's been there for 16 months, and uh, 16 years, I should say. And she got noticed, and in six months, she's out of work because the, the doctor is leaving. Well, here's that. Uh, that six months counts towards her severance. She probably is owed 12, 14 months of severance. Let's say it's 12 months. Sure. She got six months notice. That counts towards her yep. 12 months, which means at the end of that six-month period, she's still owed severance payment of another six months pay. So that, that uh, chiropractor owes her that much. Now, if he had only given her one month, then she'd be owed another 11 months. So remember, that notice counts. Now, one of the things the doctor could have done is given her more notice of termination. And if he had given her, let's say, 12 months notice, that may have been enough so that at the end, she would not have been owed any severance. But in this case, is she owed severance? Absolutely. And if you look, work for a doctor, it's very common, especially with an aging population these days. Doctors are retiring. Maybe they're selling their practice. Maybe they're moving down somewhere else. If you lose your job as a result, guess what? You're owed severance. Could that uh, doctor have rewound the clock even further and when the original, when she was originally hired 16 years ago, have an employment contract that says, I'm going to keep you back to your ESA minimums? Yes. So, and which is why you're not going to almost see that with doctors because, mm -hmm. again, doctors usually don't have the experience to do that. But an employer that wants to minimize their future severance obligations is going to do exactly that. He's going to have the employee, when they start, not after, when they start, sign an employment agreement that limits their future severance. Right. And potentially, instead of having to pay someone 18 months pay, you may only have to pay them eight weeks pay. Huge difference. But if the employer didn't do that, if you did not, as the employee, sign something that limits your entitlements, that when your job comes to an end, you're owed your full severance. And you can call me, you can go to severancepaycalculator.com to find out how much that is. It's not a week per year. Hmm. It's not two weeks per year. It's a lot more than that. It could be easily as much as two years pay total. So check it out or, or call me. Jason, you're, uh, you're next up here, fella. Says, uh, I just received notice that our business has been sold to another company. No one has come to me and told me if I still have a job. What, do I get severance? Well, at some point, someone's going to tell him if yeah. he has a job or not. Because it's possible that the new company is going to continue his employment. If, he can, if he's going to continue his employment with the company that bought the business, he's not owed severance because he's not out of work. But what happens is the new company, the one that bought the business, inherits his service. So when he starts with a new company, he's not really a new employee. His previous service counts and continues. So if down the road he's let go, he's going to get severance based on his total years of service. If he's out of a job, if, if the new company is not going to take him on, then of course he gets his full severance based on his age, position, and length of employment. But John, here's where it gets interesting. Even if he is offered a job by the new company, mm -hmm. but it's a different job, maybe it's a relocation, or it's for less pay, or maybe it's a- Different hours, different whatever. Hours, Days exactly. to nights, some of that. Yeah, absolutely, or maybe it's a lower level position. 
because it's a different position, because it's something that's not as favorable, he could potentially reject it and still get his full severance. Wow. So the devil's in the details. At some point, you're going to find out if the new company is going to offer you a job. At that point, you'll know what your options are. If you're going to continue working, no severance. If you're not going to continue working because you don't have a job with them or because it's a very different job, you get your full severance. First question, who pays it? New company, old company? Always, always the old company. Huh. If as a result of a sale of a business, you lose your job, the old company pays you your severance. The only time the new company is going to pay it is if you actually start working for the new company and at some point later, right. they let you go. So it's always the company that lets you go that pays you severance. So if the business is sold, it's the company that's selling the business that lets you go. That's why they are the ones that have to pay you severance, which is another reason, by the way, if the business is sold, you want to pursue your severance entitlements quickly. You don't want to sit on them because that company may disappear. They may sell their assets. They may uh, close their offices and their bank accounts, and mm -hmm. you may find that you're chasing a bit of a ghost. So if you lose your job as a result of a sale, you get on the phone to me immediately and let me help you now while there's still a company to, to get severance from. What if our uh, pal Jason figures, you know, this is, uh, this is a perfect time for me to start a new career. And what a time it is. I don't have to stick around. Can he get severance? So if he doesn't have a good reason not to accept with the buyer, but he decides not to anyway, he still gets severance, but he gets his minimum amount, okay. which is a week pay or two weeks pay per year of service, depending on the circumstances. He's not going to get his full amount. He's going to get his minimum amount only. But in any situation where you're, where you're not going to work with the buyer as a result of a sale of a business, you're going to get severance. Well, uh, we'll take it from there. Lots to get through, lots to uh, to think about as we did this show over the last hour. You want to reach out and uh, you can do so. Email help at employmenthour.com. The phone call always works. 1-855-821-5900. If you have questions of another sort, you can go to terminationquestions.com as well. A drop down menu. There's a, a good chance your question has already been asked and answered in depth. If not, type it in there. And Lior, member of his team, will get to that. And finally, as always, we've been telling you for six years, severancepaycalculator.com, the one place you'll want to go off the hop to find out what you wrote as far as your severance is concerned. Do not sign anything. Just take it. Take it easy. Check out the website. It takes about 30 seconds to use. And at the bottom, there is a contact button to get a hold of Lior right after you do that as well, severancepaycalculator.com. Till next time, this has been the Employment Hour right here on Global News Radio.